Daniel. And I'm Pat. And this is Y2K Movies. A podcast about the films of the 21st century. Today's episode, we're bringing you The Midnight Meat Train. Uh, Released theatrically August 1st, 2008. A photographer's obsessive pursuit of dark subject matter leads him into the path of a serial killer who stalks late-night commuters, ultimately butchering them in the most gruesome ways. Uh, Like I said, this was 2008, released theatrically. It was directed by Ryui Kitamura, uh, who you might know from Godzilla Final Wars. Screenplay by Jeff Bueller, uh, most notably for me as being the writer of Studio 666, which is maybe a movie we'll talk about at some point, the Foo Fighters horror movie that came out uh, just this year. And yeah, he also, really interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty decent. And uh, he was also responsible for some of the um, modern day horror remakes. I think he did the Pet Cemetery uh, remake that came out a couple of years ago and some other stuff too. So... Um, <laughs> Daniel, this is this is one of your picks, man. What made you what made you decide on this one? Uh well, I am a Clive Barker fan, which okay, I feel yeah, like I, a lot of horror people are. Should have mentioned that. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it was a story from Clive Barker. Right. Books of Blood. And yep, Books of Blood, which is probably like, you know, top of the line for that one. Other than I guess uh was Hellraiser. Of, yeah, I was gonna say Hellraiser. Was Hellraiser its own story, or was that a part of that? I want to say it was a short story. I know this was from Books of Blood Volume 1, and I know Hellraiser was not from that, but Hellraiser might have been from a later one. Okay. Uh, this was from the anthology that kind uh, of broke The Hellbound Hell- Heart is what Hellraiser's from. Okay. So. Yeah, because I'm not going to lie, like, Clyde Barker has so many short stories and everything that I kind of, it kind of gets lumped together. Almost like whenever you read, uh, Lovecraft or even like the short stories from King like mm. you kind of just like know the act the book that it came in but not the actual story name yeah has has Barker done novels I'm I'm not as familiar with him as I should be I apologize no I, I actually don't know either I, I, uh. I, I feel like he probably has uh, I, I just know like you know the the main few that he has uh, Candyman well, I know his. I think I know his characters more than his stories. You know, I hate to say it, but I feel like I came along at the, and maybe it's you might have have a different relationship, but you know, the Hellraiser movies for me, growing up in the eighties, I was born in eighty one, so um, like the I remember seeing Nightmare on Elm Street three or four on like pay per view at my aunt's house. Like that was how when I was old enough to like watch horror movies, and I was still probably way too young. But that was kind of when I started coming in. So the Hellraiser movies existed before I was aware of horror. Mm-hmm. And then, like, were too, like, just dirty and weird for me to really get. Like, as a kid, you can kind of wrap your head around Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. But, like, Pinhead and all that shit, like, that is not something that even, like, a horror-loving kid in the 80s could like you know no nine-year-old is gonna like watch hellraiser and be like that's my favorite franchise and then by the time i was kind of old enough to get like the kinky horror shit of hellraiser they were they were into like those terrible dimensions straight to video sequels where they were basically buying scripts and just slapping hellraiser on the cover of it 
just to keep the rights to the franchise, which I don't know if you know this, but they ended up doing like, there's like nine Hellraiser fucking movies, but the last five were all just different scripts. Like I just said, you know, basically because Uh Dimension didn't want to give up the rights to Hellraiser and they had something in their contract that as long as they came out with a Hellraiser movie every couple of years, they could retain the rights to the movie. Right. Or the franchise or whatever. Right. So, um, like criminally underrated franchise, I think that I never gave enough time to when I was, now that I'm older, I've kind of rediscovered them. The first three are actually really good. And the fourth one is kind of, I was going to say, dude, the first two, I actually would put up there pretty high on a, if like I would create a list of horror movies to watch. (laughs) The the third and fourth one are very nineties. Like those I remember watching like on HBO in high school. Right. And weirdly for me, when it came to like nineties horror, I kind of got away from the supernatural, you know, like I, I just felt like even, even with Freddy Krueger and, and nightmare, actually all of them, all the big slashers, like to me, they were just kind of, I don't know, not like I, I still enjoy them personally today, but like, those are the ones that I would recommend to people that are like, they, you know, they've been through the, uh, the weeds of horror films and they're like going to appreciate that it was still there and that the characters there, but realistically, they know it's a cash grab. Yeah. So yeah, that's always yeah. how I feel. I mean, like I feel like '90s for '90s horror, I really kind of got into thriller, like darker thrillers. Uh, well, or, it was the era of Scream? You know yeah, what I mean? Oh, right. Yeah, I was. Well, yeah. Later on with Scream, I really liked Urban Legend. I actually okay. really liked that film. Uh, almost the same premise, kind of as Scream, with like the slasher aspect, but. Uh, I liked, there was just a couple of psychological thrillers that I really enjoyed during that time. Uh, Kiss the Girls. Um, oh, fuck. What is the other one that I, I literally tell all my friends? It has a bone collector. The Fallen. Oh, okay. With Denzel Washington and John Goodman. I don't know what it is about that movie, but I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's just about like a demon. You know, did you ever see, um, I think it's just called Fallen, the uh, the Bill Paxton director directed horror movie, or what is that called? Oh, actually, I think Fallen. I think that I think it's not the Fallen. I actually do think it's uh just Fallen. But I do know what you're talking about. Bill Paxton's, uh, yeah, his like it wasn't that his like debut. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he directed too much. <laughs> Really, in in general, I think that might have been the only one. I think it was and, like uh, Frailty. Fr- yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. And I'm pretty sure Frailty is actually a 2000s movie, so we should d- dive into that because that, to me, might be 2001. Wow, just barely. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So I was gonna say I'm pretty sure that came out in the 2000s, but uh, that to me might be his best role. Yeah, and it's a very early Matthew McConaughey. Yep. Um, man, I miss Bill it. Paxton. But man, that is neither here nor there. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, the Midnight, Midnight Meat Tree. <laughs> Going back. Uh, I just, I don't know. I kind of, so the whole reason why I chose it was because of Clive Barker. And I thought that was cool. And then mm. I saw it had early Bradley Cooper in it. And I was like, I also thought that was cool. Right. And I actually watched uh, The League on FX, which I think eventually got put on like fxx uh and that had leslie bibb in it who played like uh i think her name was maya 
Maya Jones, Maya, yeah, yeah, uh, Maya. Bradley Cooper's uh, love interest. Right. So, and I just, I, you know, I thought I, I it made me want to watch it even more. Uh, but yeah, that was basically those couple reasons, and the fact that like I kind of like I'm a little upset with myself that I actually missed this. I didn't. I never saw it. Like I, this was a first time watch for me, and it kind of pissed me off that I never saw it because it reminded me of all the other movies directed from 2003 to like 2010. <laughs> and I was like, like the lighting was super industrial. Yes. <laughs> like it, it, it basically had like, I don't know, no like filter in it. It was a very, very, very pleasant surprise with Ted Raimi. Yeah. Uh, it was Dude. a very pleasant surprise. Yes. But I don't I know. Could... Like it just kind of reminded, like it, I was like, how the fuck did I miss this movie? It, well, it didn't really get a theatrical release. Um, I oh, saw really? this. Yeah, it, I saw this. So you're right. It is so... I, I, I think I, I gave you a little bit more credit in picking this one. Because I thought, like, oh, maybe he's picking it because the Hellraiser uh, reboot is coming out on Hulu. And he thought that it would be good to do a Clive Barker movie. And this is the most recent Clive Barker thing to come out or something uh I mean, it, technically candy man be the last one that came oh out? that's true yeah we could do the jordan yeah. peele can but like so this was um yes this very much just fucking smacks of 2008 with the with the cgi yeah uh just camera work and and oh and yeah roving camp you know, like computer yeah it's it was very... taking a lot of shooting aspects i think from saw like, yeah and I, what adventure yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Saw was a big one. And then also, which is really funny, because you, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to, but you mentioned um, I Saw the Devil. And it reminded me, I've actually seen I Saw the Devil. I really enjoy that film. And it reminded me a lot of that, too. I've never seen that. So okay, I, well, I don't It has I don't a know lot if, of similarities. So I don't know if we'll do that episode just for the only reason because uh, it's super long. I do want to get to it, though, because uh, I'm, one of my favorite movie podcasts is uh, a podcast called Best Movies Never Made. And they talk to screenwriters who um, had scripts in development that never got made. And a lot of times it'll be like – they do episodes on all, all over the place, right? Like unmade Spider-Man movies, unmade right. – Highlander sequels, right? And they were talking to Simon Barrett, who's the writer of Your Next, The Guest, a bunch of movies that we'll probably get to at some point on this show. And he had a screenplay and development, him and Adam Weingard, for the uh, a remake of I Saw the Devil. And I had mm-hmm. never even heard of that movie before. But t- hearing him talk about it and how he wanted to remake it and his ideas made me think that it would be a good thing to cover on this show. So that's why, that's how that whole thing came into turn. I, mean, I don't know. I still if- like it. I, I, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm totally down for catching up on it. I think it'd be really cool. Speaking of Adam Wingard real quick though, uh, there was some news today that broke out that Biolante might be uh, Godzilla V Kong's second opponent for the sequel. Who's that? Biolante, the giant rose. The one, the one movie that isn't in print anymore, and we cannot get it here in America. Like you can't stream it. Uh, the DVDs that are like on eBay and Amazon, and everything run for like hundred twenty dollars. Like th- it's the only Godzilla film I've never seen. And it's Godzilla versus a giant rose. Yeah, that's... that is like Godzilla. <laughs> it's like a Godzilla rose hybrid. Oh my gosh. And it is, it's actually among fan favorites as 
probably top three villains of Godzilla's, and people are kind of worried that uh, at Wingard's going to like ruin it. But my thing is, is I can't even fucking watch it, so fuck it. Right. I was. Uh, <laughs> like, how I is he in the top it. three when it's that hard to see? Is just because right. the, the, he's so infamous that people kind of. I think so. I think. Yeah. I think it's just the fact that like. <clears throat> only the true diehard fans fucking, you know, s- drop a hundred bucks to go see see a creature that's probably on screen for 15 minutes. I yeah. don't think it, I don't think it'd be worth it. I, I really want to. I've always wanted to watch it. I just, I don't know. I was have, willing to buy it streaming, but for some reason it's not available. Have they ever put out like a Godzilla box set? Uh yeah, they've put out the they put it out in different uh eras. And then they also had the Toho collection a few years ago before Godzilla King of the Monsters came out. Mm-hmm. And but it was all the first release was DVD, then the second release was Blu-ray. But they also have one it's like from the uh cr- what is it Criterion? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Criterion. Yeah, Criterion. Yeah. yeah, they they have a uh a collection from that and it's from like the 50s I think through it's basically the first generation. Of see, I don't want to see that. I want to see like the fucking seventies ones. That's the the ones I remember watching on Channel Fifty as a kid. Well, I, th- I think it goes from sixty or fifty to either seventy or seventy five. But the ones that you would be probably a big fan of, maybe I could be wrong, but it would be like the eighties. The the uh, is it the hentai Godzilla? Or, I don't know. I always fuck up. I always want to say hentai, <laughs> but it's like. I- uh, the the high C, sorry, the high C Godzilla, and that's the one where he goes against like, uh, that's the one from eighty four to ninety five. Well, maybe it was in the seventies one that you saw. Yeah, those are the ones I, I remember the most. With like, where there was always a kid and they would sing a song and. Oh yeah. The, the okay. Googly yeah, yeah. eyes on the suits. Yep. And... Yep. That's the one that you. So yeah, that this one is in that box set, and I did buy that box set. I do have it. <laughs> so, the rose one. No, 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 not the rose one. The uh, but the seventies one, the one that you grew up with. It's in the Criterion box set. All right, I'll look into that because you know I got the um, for Father's Day I got the Shaw Brothers the Volume One of the the Shaw Brothers uh, Blu-ray box set, and I fucking loved it, and I just absolutely right. adored it. And I, honestly, like we were talking about the forty-eight hour film this year, and like that, the Shaw Shaw Brothers was like one of my Hugest influences going into it because I watched so many of those movies this summer, and they just announced that the second one's coming out soon, uh, like in November. So, That's cool. um, yeah, I I, lo- I I love that. And if they did something similar with Godzilla, I would I would get it and I would watch it. Yeah, they they I, do they do have one. Uh, they also have they have cheaper ones. So definitely go do some like research and see which ones you would you would prefer to have. Yeah. I'll have to figure out which movies specifically I'm looking for because I don't even know. But I, I, um, I know this is still off topic. But if if you had to choose like one of your favorite villains of Godzilla, one of your favorite kaiju, who would it be? I, you know, I liked what what was the it was like Gamera and well, I know that did Gamera and Godzilla ever fight or they were two no completely Gamera no they were two different and Toho never wanted it to happen. So, so. what was what was the one? Is it a Gamera? Are you are you fluent with Gamera too? Yeah, I got. What, yeah, I actually have. Uh, okay, I think so a few. I think I have like ten of the Gamera movies. So it was like a shark. There was like a little alien boy, 
and <laughs> they had like a song that was like about Gamera and like it, it, the thing had like a it was like a shark that would crawl but it had like a long knife for a head and it took out two shrunken from like like ninja stars from its head and would throw them fuck i i know exactly what you're talking about i think it it starts with a z doesn't it i don't uh, even remember i, I it, thought that uh, was zigra zigra is and then isn't and then okay isn't there and then the godzilla one i always love that movie and then there was another one it is zigra or zigra we're like is it it's godzilla but he's got a kid with him like a kid godzilla and they're on an island right okay. and like are there like twin like Martian chicks? Uh, I think that's the one. It could be destroy all monsters. Is okay. that the one with the kid and like he has a connection with like the baby Godzilla? Yeah, that's probably it. I think that's what it is. Um, is Mothra in it? Like everybody's in it, dude. I, th- <laughs> I don't remember. I get so high when I watch this shit. Like you're asking yeah, me. No, to, like, I totally. It's like trying to remember a dream. You know I'm what I mean? Sure that's the one. It, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the <laughs> one it is. It's destroy all monsters. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. I think the villain though in that one, I'm pretty sure is Ghidorah or Ghidorah. I don't however you want to fucking pronounce it, but uh, yeah. I always liked. Um, I think his name was Hedora. The like the, he was like the pollution, the smog one, and he had like oh. the red eyes, but they were like kind of like peanut shaped to me but i so really cool thing is i the it made me kind of like it even more but uh i liked it because they based the whole character so it for some reason and i could totally be wrong about this but this is what i read of like why but i uh i was just looking into the villains trying to get a backstory right and i was like oh that's really cool and i love the design and the movie like i enjoyed the movie well I find out that its eyes are representations of like vaginas and that I guess like (laughs) Japanese culture and other like cultures around there, like they, they were, they, they kind of feared women. So that's how they like base it off of. Well, you ever seen like Japanese porn? Like they always blur out the, like you can't show vaginas. I mean, they also blur out the dicks. (laughs) Yeah. They blur out everything. Yeah. You yeah. Can, they show boobs, but that's it. And then everything else is blurred out. And it's real weird. Right. But yeah, so like that's how I mean that's always how I saw it. But I thought it was always so cool. And that is I would I would definitely say like if you are gonna get high and watch this, I think Godzilla versus Adora is definitely one of the best ones to do it too. So on a, on a very, very similar note, that's believe it or not, bringing us back to the Midnight Meat Train. Yes. Um, when I was, when I was, so Midnight Meat Train came out like 2008. So I was like 27 years old and I was at the tail end of my asshole days. And what I, one thing that I love to do during my asshole days, and this was like, you know, a time in my life for 27, um, most of my friends had apartments. Like we lived on our own. We would have parties inevitably sometimes you end up crashing on your friend's couch right one of the things i would love to do like if i was crashing on my buddy's couch after everyone went to bed if i was still awake is that i would go on their comcast and order like a 30 dollar porn block (laughs) 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 and just go to bed watching fucking porn at their house and i would do this i would do this my friends would be like motherfucker you owe me 30 dollars i'm like fine here's fucking 30 dollars what the hell that's hilarious but I would do it, and they wouldn't know until they got the bill, and they'd have to be like, what the fuck? And they'd have to like look at the date and stuff. 
And uh, I was at a friend of mine's house, and I didn't get porn that night. I was on a whole bunch of drugs, and I knew I wasn't going to bed anytime soon. So I was like, fuck it. Let's see what they got on pay-per-view. And Midnight Meat Train was on, so I watched it. So you can imagine me watching this at like no, four thirty. You just had a totally different. You saw the title and you were like, "Ah, oh, there it is." And you're like, "Well, Man, I, this." I knew that it was, uh, it was way so cheaper knew... than usual. Yeah, exactly. It was only three ninety nine. I knew who Bradley Cooper was because this was so. This was pre Hangover. Um, so he wasn't a leading man yet, but he had been in Wet Hot American Summer. He had been in. Um, he had been in the Wedding Crashers movies, so he, yeah. you knew who yeah. he was. That's it was right. What's his was, fucking name in that movie in Wedding Crashers? Oh, I have no idea. It's but like, like, oh, it's such a douchebag name. Oh my god, I have no idea. You're gonna make oh, me look Sack. it up. No, his name's Sack. Sack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so okay. fucking stupid. So, um, yeah, Zach Lodge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I knew the Clive Barker thing. Um, it was enough for me to watch it and, um, I didn't hate it. I think it was not the type of movie you should watch drugged out of your mind at, you know, four or five in the morning on a Saturday, Saturday night going into Sunday morning or something. But, um. Just thinking it was kind of okay, and then at the end, being very, uh, very intrigued by the ending, but disappointed because I wanted more, and which is kind of the same way I I, I still feel rewatching it for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think it. Uh, so basically, the story is Bradley Cooper plays Leon Kaufman, the photographer, and uh, he's trying to break into the photography world. And some friends hook him up with Brooke Shields, in a surprising cameo, who's a like art gallery owner who wants to showcase some of his work, but she encourages him to photograph more of the darker side of life, which is a very post nine eleven uh, type of philosophy. This movie, like you said, it has it has a very distinctive feel for it for a, a part point in time in American history that we were at, very industrial, very uh, you know computer generated um it kind of in a way it kind of uh takes the filter off right and 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 you you stop seeing the world in beautiful colors and and rainbows and sunshine and you kind of and and sadly you kind of see what the world really is to a point and uh so he starts he he prevents a rape uh, a sexual assault on a uh, at a subway platform, and um, gets it takes a bunch of pictures of it, gets some encouraging feedback. But the girl who he saves ends up later disappearing, and he suspects that the people that he you know stopped her from being assaulted by were the were the responsible parties. So he starts riding the subway at night, and he starts to notice that um, this this butcher character played by Vinnie Jones is kidnapping people and killing them and on the train. And, um, it kind of leads him down this dark path and it's, it's very reminiscent. Like you said of, uh, well, you said saw, but I felt it was, it's kind of 70, um, kind of, uh, eight millimeter it has, the, has that like kind of dark underworld vibe to it. Uh, and it, um, 
Yeah, do you want to jump in, man? <laughs> yeah. I, okay, so like uh filming wise, like I definitely uh not only with those movies, but I mean, like just during that time, I mean, we had the ring that's a little earlier, but kind of like, and I want to say the director uh, is from Japan. So yes, these Japanese directors that came over here and started doing it, they started making their movies a lot like Japanese horror films, which was super fucking popular, like in the early 2000s in America. So I, that's another reason why I was very surprised that, this movie like flew under my radar. So not only did this seem like the ring or like film wise, uh, the colors were a lot like the ring. Uh, they really made you feel the emotions, but also at the same time, like the, uh, I hate that dread always gets brought up and to like our, our story or our episodes, but like there was some dread, like you started see, you started feeling his exhaustion. You started feeling his, uh, how like he was he was scared, but like he had to keep going because if not, like he would have never got his art shown in the gallery, and like it was basically a man chasing his dream, and his dream was attacking kind of the supernatural, or not attacking, but end up finding and stalking <laughs> the supernatural guy with some barnacles, who also I think plays uh his name's Mahogany. Which is, right. I think, a fucking cool last name, by the way. Uh, but Vinny Jones, which I'm pretty sure he plays Juggernaut in X Men. He does. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, because I was going to say, like, this guy had a presence every time he was walking, because he doesn't speak until like the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and his, just his stature alone was enough for me to be like, this guy means fucking business. But yeah, I mean, he was kind of uh, taken in a sense. Like there was a calling, right? The this ancient evil was calling for him and it was kind of like destiny in a sense i guess i, I don't know that part kind of got weird like i will say that clive bark a lot of clive barker stuff kind of feels like lovecraftian <laughs> which i guess that's ultimately just horror now like you know the more and more i do this i just kind of realize that like well just because it has dread and it's about an ancient evil doesn't necessarily have to stem from him but that's just what we call it right but um yeah, th- I mean, this film was really cool. I also found out that this film was uh, supposed to be a sequel to Candyman. And instead of the, the uh, I guess, for a lack of a better term, with Mahogany, we'll call him like the Butcher. But he was going to be the Butcher. He was going to be Mahogany. And I actually feel like from this movie and from the stories of Clive Barker, I actually think, and the lack thereof in the 21st century... I think this would have been a great 21st century horror franchise. And the best part about it is, is that the villains could have been different in every movie. It did not have to be the same. So they could have always just picked it up in a different place. They could have picked it up in a different subway. You know, they, I just felt like this, this universe could have expanded so much. So at at the end, they reveal that, uh, Vinnie Jones's character, um, is actually kind of like a servant for this race of underground reptilian monsters <laughs> that they're feeding meat to for some reason. And uh, it's it's not revealed until the last, uh, I'd say, probably literally like the last five minutes of the movie. 
Um, you're not you're not aware of what's going on until the last five minutes of the movie. It, it slowly starts to unravel to where you realize that Vinnie Jones might be a little bit more than human. You might that he's been that there's something more going on. There's a bigger conspiracy that the police are in on it. We're gonna get. I want to get to all that stuff in a minute. But uh, it, it, you know the, the the grand reveal of what's actually happening, which is Vinnie Jones for for almost over a century has been killing people on the subway and delivering meat, human, human bodies to these underground masters in New York city. Now in the, in the, I looked into it because of the, in, in the short story, it suggested that yes, every city is kind of built on these layers and for the city to thrive and prosper, these underground masters must be fed and kind of appeased and that there's a, there's a cult of humans that worship them and, and make sure that they have what they need so that the cities kind of grow and everything kind of moves and that our world in general is, um, is just kind of like a smoke screen for this. And these ancient things are what's keeping humanity going. That's not really relayed too much in this movie, although having now watching it as when I watched it for the, for today's episode, um, watching it the second time, knowing the reveal at the end, you could see that there are kind of little things that, uh, that feed this, that kind of the telegraph that this is coming. Uh, there's some news reports about the European union kind of suggesting that maybe that's, that's what that's all about. And that, you know, this is, it's a global phenomenon. It's not just New York City based, but that stuff is never discussed. And yeah, there's potential for a franchise there, but you know, obviously, it was never really realized. And I think partly is because they spend too long getting to that reveal, to where your casual audience member is just like, "What the fuck?" and then it's over. You well, know see, what I, I mean? Think they could- I still think they could have taken that approach because this is the first movie. And that, to me, that's actually a problem with a lot of cinema today. So think of all the sequels to horror films or any films that we used to get from the all the way from the 70s to the 90s. Even if they sucked, I mean, I guess they built a name on themselves. So I guess that is a little different. But for me, th- there was like, you know, like, let's let's talk about Friday the 13th. Like, to me, Friday the 13th doesn't get good till like the third or fourth movie. So, however, it is pretty original. So, I mean, I guess that's different. But, I mean, for me, the Midnight Meat Train, other than its filming, I felt like the storyline was could have held its own. And, like, I don't know. I, I feel like if they would have, say, like, done a contract where they could have signed on to maybe a trilogy, I think the sec- I think it would have got better by either each movie or the second one would have definitely been the best one. But I felt like they that you have to have that kind of opening movie to like get it going, to get it running, which I'd have been yeah. fine with. I mean, but that's like I feel like that's like saying that. Imagine going to see the first Matrix movie, realizing it was going to be a trilogy, and in the last five minutes, you find out that we're all living inside a computer simulation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, they still Matrix was a trilogy, and they built a world. But they still told you halfway through what the fucking deal was. And this really didn't do that. Right, until the end. Yeah, and I think that there was, once again, it was one of those things where I 
I wanted to see more. It reminded me of Jordan Peele's Us. It reminded me of something where right. you teased this really great. This is a conspiracy theorist wet dream. You know, right. that's what that's another reason why I thought that you intentionally picked this movie. Because I'm like, oh, you wanted, and especially when I saw what your the Blue Room Midnight episode was about this week. Like, I was really disappointed to find out you just picked this one out of a fucking hat. Well, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I picked a lot of these out of just randomly. I thought that was like that's the fun point, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just that's what makes it fun. But like, yeah, like there's, it's a great concept and it actually made me really want to read the short story, which isn't something that, that always happens. Um, there it's, it's great source material. It's very atmospheric. And, and once it like Mm -hmm. going to my own about with serendipity, like it's definitely has that like, like coked up 5am feel to it because like, it's all about this guy that like, you know, is out all night and, and chasing shadows and trying to trying to get a picture of the dark underbelly of humanity and man does he ever succeed and that is out there and it affects his relationship with his girlfriend there's a scene that borderlines on sexual assault when he's like fucking her from behind or whatever um you know it's very uh it's it's got a very strong vibe to it i will say sometimes it's a little tonally inconsistent you brought up sam raimi earlier sam raimi is like i think the first kill in the movie and Ted Ramey, I'm sorry. And man, is it like a gonzo bloodbath. Like, you know, you 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 know, when you bought your ticket to see this, you realize that it's a horror movie. Right. But the first time you really see a kill, it's Ted Ramey and his buddy and, and this chick. Right. And a lot of the kills are very gonzo. It's not, you know, it, it's it's borderline slapstick funny. Um it's real bloody. It's not, you know, it, it, there's times when this is very dark and atmospheric and foreboding. And then there's times when it's really campy and laughable. Right. Well, uh, I mean, that's just kind of like going back to the director. You know, I, I don't think other than Final Wars, I don't think you probably I'm, I'm looking them up right now. Yeah. So like Final Wars. Oh, he did Nightmare Cinema. Well, that's an anthology, so I'm sure he only did like one or two in that. But with Final Wars, like I was telling you uh, a couple weeks ago, like that's a very kind of it's a campy film, but it's like also it's just one of those things that's like, I don't know, like it's not the best Godzilla, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of uh, it knows what it stands, if that makes sense. Like it it knows what it is and it kind of stays in that. And I think sometimes when you take these horror films, especially probably like some Clive Barker things and you watch his past films of Hellraiser and Candyman, you can kind of see like the, uh, the quirky campy, you know, parts of those films. And he probably just maybe took a little too much from that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I mean, that's, that's how I might take it as from him for the director. But I mean, at the same time, like I really, I wouldn't know because I don't know him too well. I I mean overall like I I have to recommend this movie. Like I'm not I don't want to I'm not shitting on it. Like I feel like it's very um it, it like you said it knows what it is. It's a mm-hmm. it's got a very you could talk about how its point of view might be a little schizophrenic, but it has a very well defined point of view. And it 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 knows its tone, it knows what it's going for, it does it. Um 
you know, I'll complain a little bit about wishing that I saw more of the, the lizard stuff at the end, just because I like stories about ancient underground right. lizard races. Really I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, that's yeah, a, that's... That, you're right. That is a conspiracy <laughs> theory, like conspiracy <laughs> theorists, like wet dream. Right. And, and then, that's what, that's, that's a huge one right now. Yeah. You find out that the, the cops are in on it and I, and I like to, it seems to me like Brooke Shields, character was in on it too. Um, there's a scene where she gets a, uh, the girl go, the girlfriend goes to the police and then the police make a phone call. And then we cut to, uh, Bradley Cooper at an art installation opening and he's with Brooke Shields and she gets called away because of a phone call. So it kind of felt like maybe he was, she, or Brooke Shields was in with the police or something, which would make sense because she's this part of this elite group. Um, you know, high society, New York. I don't, I, it just, I could see that. And then, and then Bradley Cooper, like sees the picture of Vinnie Jones's character who I met before. Actually, I, when I, when I worked in the hotel industry in Chicago, he was, he was here. I forget what he was filming, but, uh, I got called up to his room to help him with his TV or something. It was very nice. And he's, and he's big, but like, honestly, I, he's say, like, I think, you, I think you did. I think he's talked about that in, uh, um, uh, on Wednesdays, we talk weird. Yeah, he's he's my height, so like he's a big dude, but like I'm I'm tall too. So it's like, right? Hey, but he was very soft spoken and very friendly. Um, they always are, man. Isn't it weird? <laughs> yeah, they're always, they always nice. Are. It's always their people that are jagoffs. Right? They're fucking. Don't you know who I am? I'm Marilyn Manson's bus driver. Like, gives a shit. It's like Bruce me. Willis. <laughs> he listened to all the stories about Bruce Willis being a dick. Yeah. But I mean, but that's Bruce Willis. It's yeah, but it but it sucks though because I don't want him to be a dick, especially like when he worked on uh, Moon is it Moonlight Kingdom with uh, Wes Anderson. Everybody what? talked about how like he was a, uh, it it just wasn't. Uh, everybody like did all their own stuff. Like they helped out Bill Murray, um, Edward Norton. They all like helped uh, Anderson like do everything and. Like, you know, it was a pretty indie film and they get they get Bruce Willis on the cast and he's like, where's my trailer? Where's this? Where's that? And he, he was like pissed off about it. He was the only person that had a trailer on set. Wow. So I didn't know that. I mean, I heard Kevin Smith talk shit about him. Well, first he talked about how awesome he was on Die Hard. Then they made Cop Out. And I know that he kind of talks shit about that experience. Right. But that's a bummer. I was yeah, a big lighting fan. Yeah, I liked that. I liked that movie. But yeah, it was weird. Did, did you like Cop Out? I gotta know that one. So that no, that's that's probably my least favorite Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. Um, no, I did not. I was very disappointed by it. I Cop Out like is, is, is not just a clever name. And I um, and I love Kevin Smith. So yeah. when you brought that up, I was like, oh shit, do I say it? <laughs> do no, I say I didn't like this movie? Cop Out, I'd have to say, like, honestly, Cop Out and like Yoga Hosers are like the only ones that I don't like. And I don't, I don't, I think Yoga Hosers, I just realized, wasn't for me and I was okay with that. Um, but yeah, Cop Out was probably, the, and I haven't seen Clerks 3 yet, which I feel terrible about. Um, Wait, that already I, come out? Yeah, but it's one of those like Phantom, Phantom Events things. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think it's here where I'm at yet. Yeah, it's it's playing at a couple of theaters around here, but I haven't dragged my ass to go see it. I am definitely ready for it though. 
Yeah. Very cool. But Midnight Me Train. <laughs> yeah, going back. Not uh, and I and you know and the the uh, listener right now might get a little confused and be like, well, are they really? Do they really like this movie? Or you know, because we keep getting off topic. But like in all honesty, like I I definitely enjoyed this film. It was really cool watching Bradley Cooper step up. This may have actually been the reason why he got all these leading man positions was because of this film. Oh, I sincerely doubt. That. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it predates. Who knows? You know? It does predate. Also, I did want to bring up one more connection. Uh, I did feel like, have you ever seen the number 23 with Jim Carrey? No, I haven't. Okay, so this film kind of made me think of this also. And at one point in the movie, because of the way uh, Bradley Cooper's character was acting, I thought that maybe he was like getting so into his work that he actually created his work. Like, he was the killer, and that's why he was getting so close. Um, but the timeline didn't... That was just, like, one theory of mine, like, for two or maybe five minutes. And then I was like, oh, no, this isn't. This isn't like that at all. I was like, they were pretty blatantly clear who the killer was, but I was hoping that maybe that was, like, a persona that his mind took on. So it was kind of like a uh, a split personality ordeal, and that's, like, who he thought he was. when he Almost like a fight club scene, and then a... Uh, Mixed with like the number twenty three, like I kind of I was really enjoying that, which also come kind of brings back to, uh, shit. What's his name? The dude that directed Fight Club, Fincher. Uh, Fincher, Fincher. Yeah. So it kind it brought that back together to Fincher because it was kind of like a Fincher film, it and felt- then the number twenty three, uh, which uh, for a Jim Carrey drama and thriller. I would I would say give it a shout out. It's a lot like Sin City to me if you if you enjoyed that and kind of like this in a sense, but it's based around like a book. But um, and the lighting and every the way that it's filmed is a lot like this because they all you know come out around the same time. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that's what it reminded me of. This has a this has a very heavy heavy Fincher vibe. This very much feels like Fight Club. But I think what they were trying to what they both have in common is that um. Both movies are kind of dealing with insomniacs losing their mind in the middle of the night because they can't jive with the waking world, which right. once again uh, definitely struck a chord with a uh, drugged up pedo <laughs> at fucking five in the morning on a Sunday <laughs> watching Midnight Meat Train on my friend's couch. Uh, right. And uh, so, yeah, it. Uh, like I said, I, I really do like it because I feel I, I, I feel that it's a it, it's very I think either you're gonna identify with the vibe of it and that whole thing and the aesthetic. Either it's gonna gel with you and you're gonna appreciate it, or you're gonna kind of be just left scratching your head. Right. And um it does it does portray a very specific time in American cinema. You know, I think movies just like pop music and, and everything else they in TV they follow cycles and it, it, it's a you know random stuff can come out at random times but a lot of stuff is a product of the culture at the moment that's why movies get greenlit that's why stuff gets made is because that's what's popular in the culture at the moment right and uh, 2008 Bradley Cooper um, some light conspiracy theory blood insomnia bullet time CGI camera work 
<laughs> it, it is a perfect stew of of 2008 American cinema. Right. Like imported Korean director or, or Japanese director or whatever, imported Asian director, you know, coming over to make their big stateside hit. And, um, yeah, I would recommend it. Watch it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's I, a, I, yeah. I agree. I'll probably be buying it, adding it to the collection. So I liked yeah. it enough to do that where I wanted to show people it. So, yeah. um, speaking of insomnia, did this, uh, did this remind you of, and uh insomnia the from 2002 with al pacino and ron williams i've never seen that what okay well cool because we're probably i might pitch that to you that is uh what's his name nolan right christopher nolan yep yeah i remember seeing memento and being like this movie sucks (laughs) and then they're like well we did another one called insomnia i'm like i don't care (laughs) <laughs> just like i was talking I, to somebody i think i was talking to actually asher's about it it might be on i think it's on this the this the conversation might be on this week's on wednesday we talk where where she brought up one hour photo and i'm like yeah i never saw that movie oh so, dude one hour i know i was just awesome i was i know whatever I just, oh dude i was actually gonna bring that up to you on like the whole robin williams thing like i was gonna say uh with with it that, that honestly one hour photo may have been one of the most terrifying i mean not to people today but for like us and like our parents and stuff like that like i feel like this may have been one of the most terrifying characters and thrill any any kind of thriller horror psychological film like this is one of the most and, and not only that robert williams that was one of his best acting performances i've ever seen from him so like I mean, dude, you should definitely check that out. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe I'm just too much of a Robin Williams fan, but his drama I'm, to me, his dramas and thrillers, like whenever he branched away from comedy, that's what I like. Obviously, I like you know Good Morning Vietnam and some of his earlier stuff, and that. But like Insomnia and One Hour Photo, that's like when I fell like in love with Robin Williams, and then his stand up's pretty good too, but. All right, <laughs> that's what it, that's what it comes down to with that. So we, uh, you know, if if you guys end up uh, seeing an episode come up of Insomnia or One Hour Photo, now you know why. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. So, all right. Well, I mean, that's it for me. That's all I got. All right. <laughs>